as we've been kind of going through the Psalms the last few weeks, and as we read through the Psalms on a regular basis, I think usually we think of David when we think of the Psalms for good reason, because David wrote more of the Psalms than anyone else. He wrote about half of the Psalms, um, but that still leaves a lot that weren't written by David, about half of them. We looked at one of those last week in Psalm 73, which was written by Asaph, and today we're looking at another one, this one, Psalm 90, which was written by Moses. That makes it the earliest written psalm chronologically, at least that we know of, as it's written by Moses. We don't know exactly what point in his life he wrote it, but still just knowing that Moses wrote this down for us and recorded it for us gives us maybe some insight as we go along as to what might have inspired this particular song. In some ways, we might expect to find more psalms by Moses. Within the Old Testament, he's one of the central figures of the Old Testament. The exodus out of slavery in Egypt led by Moses is the central redemptive act in the Old Testament story. And so we think of Moses' life. That's the first thing that we think about. We think about how he stood before Pharaoh and how he delivered the Lord's message, let my people go. And then we think of how he led the people, how the Red Sea was parted and they walked out to freedom and to safety. We think of how Moses received the commandments from the Lord and passed them on to the people, even how he recorded the first five books of the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles today. And what we see over the course of Moses' life and what we're going to see in this psalm this morning is this one message that he teaches us and that this psalm teaches us, and that is that God gives lasting meaning to your life. God gives lasting meaning to your life. And that is good news, especially in these chaotic times where it seems like everything is changing, where nothing is ever steady. It's always shifting. We all want to know that our lives matter, that we're making a difference in the world. And so as we look at that, as we look for meaning in our lives, we wind up looking in lots of different places. Sometimes we turn to relationships with other people, whether that's a romantic relationship or a family relationship or an important friendship, and we seek to find our meaning and our connection to other people, to the people around us. Some we look, times we look to our work and just to success in life, believing that my life has meaning because of what I can do or because of what I can achieve. Sometimes we look for meaning in just new and exciting experiences. We're just continually chasing the next big moment or in the good deeds that we do to serve others. And the strange thing about all of those things, all those places we look for meaning is that none of them are necessarily bad things in and of themselves. But where we find trouble is when we separate any of those pursuits of meaning from the only one who gives our lives lasting meaning. Our shared experience, all of us this morning, is that we've all tried to determine the meaning of our lives according to our own wisdom, according to our own understanding. And our common mistake is that is thinking that we're the one who determines the purpose and meaning of our lives. But what Moses' life shows us and this psalm tells us is different, that God is the one who gives lasting meaning to your life. And so we're going to look together at Psalm 90 this morning. And as we walk through it, we discover just right off the bat that it begins with understanding who God is. And so let's begin Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, 
or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. First thing we see is that the Lord is eternal. The Lord is eternal. Moses writes this psalm in the collective voice of God's people, addressing the Lord directly as the dwelling place of his people in all generations. He's saying the Lord is our home. He's the safe place where we can rest. And it's not just for one group or for one generation. It is in all generations. The times change as people, we change, but the Lord is there. He is constant. As I've traveled overseas a couple times in recent years to visit family, haven't ever been gone all that long, a couple weeks at the longest, but one thing that's always the same is I find myself feeling this sense of comfort upon returning home, right? It's good to return back home. There's something about when you see the Chick-fil-A in the airport that just says, right, I'm home. This is how things should be. It's familiar, it's known, and after you've been away, it's good to be home. And to an infinitely greater degree, that's what Moses is singing here in this psalm. He's saying, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, you are home. You are constant. You are unchanging. You are always there for us, a safe place to return home for all generations. As we read that there, in all generations, that's the first reference in the psalm that we see to time. But we see it here in the context in the first couple of verses is that the Lord is eternal. Because in fact, he even goes beyond the generations because he precedes the generations. Go back before Adam and Eve, go back before the mountains were formed on the face of the earth, before the land and the sea were separated. The psalm says, go back even before the earth and the world were formed to the very first verses in the book of Genesis. And it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before there was anything, before there was anyone else, God was. He's from everlasting to everlasting, never changing, right? It's hard for me to even start to get my mind around this morning. When we say the Lord is eternal, not only is God everlasting as we look forward into the future. We can go trillions and trillions of years into the future, and it won't even scratch the surface of what it means to understand that God is eternal. But the same thing is true as we go backward in history, even before history, the Lord is everlasting. He is eternal. And in comparison to a God who always was and always is and always will be, what we see next in the psalm is that our lives are fleeting. Picking up in verse 3, the psalm goes on. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The Lord is eternal, but our lives are fleeting. 
from everlasting to everlasting, eternity past to eternity future, beyond what we can comprehend, God is, by contrast, our lives are short, the psalm says, and filled with trouble. Why? Not because God is cruel, but because what we see in the psalm is because we have sinned. From verse 3, Moses makes it clear that the Lord returns mankind to dust. As we saw, he started the psalm in Genesis 1 with creation. Now he's made his way to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve turned away from God's good design to the deception of the serpent. And there we see that it's sin that brought brokenness and struggle and pain and death into the world. It's sin that has broken our relationship with the Lord who is eternal. And so in verse 4, the psalm calls us to think about a thousand years. As we look at the scriptures, the longest life that is recorded in the scriptures is the life of Methuselah, right, who lived 969 years on the earth. The longest human life ever recorded It says a thousand years to the Lord is just like yesterday. It's like a watch in the night. Just like that, it's over. He sings of the flood that swept humanity away in the days of Noah. says our lives are fleeting like a dream. Here one minute, gone the next. Because of sin and its effects in the world, we are like grass that's renewed in the morning and then fading by the evening. You might have some flowers on your porch or around your house. Right, where they are in the afternoon sun and the heat here lately, right, where in the morning maybe you water them, they look good, they feel like they're refreshed, but by evening they're beaten down by the heat. That is how our lives are in comparison to an eternal God, here in the morning, but gone by evening, no guarantees of tomorrow. That's what happens when our sin meets God's wrath, Moses says. And his point here isn't to paint this picture of this angry God who is sitting in heaven eagerly waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us or strike us down. That's not the picture of God that the Bible reveals to us. But the God revealed to us in the scriptures is a holy God. He is eternal. He is righteous and just in his anger towards sin. He will not say it's good when those whom he has created turn from him to find meaning and purpose in other places because it's not what's best for us. He will not say it's all okay when we call good what he calls sin because it isn't okay. And we don't like to talk a lot about the wrath of God in part because we've seen it weaponized by some to shame shame others while my sin gets excused, right? We've seen the wrath of God emphasized in ways that distorts the character and the nature of God. But the scriptures reveal to us a God who is an eternally holy judge and a God who is a patient and compassionate father. And so we see in the scriptures here, Moses writing of the experience of brokenness and tragedy in this world. He's not saying that everything that goes wrong in your life is a direct result of a sinful choice or wrong choice that you have made, but he is saying that all of the brokenness that we experience is a result of sin against a holy God who is just and righteous and who is working in the world today. And verses 9 through 11 really capture all of that brokenness as well as any verses in the scripture, saying that we live our entire lives in this world that's marred by sin and a world that's pursuing meaning and glory everywhere except in the one who has it. And so our lives, it says, come to an end like a sigh, dejected and fleeting, 
70 years, maybe 80, right? Moses points there to the normal span of human life. We know that some live longer lives, some live shorter lives, but either way, it says they're soon gone and we fly away. And so just think about Moses' life. We know in his life that he narrowly escaped death as, a, as an infant at a time when Pharaoh had ordered that he should be put to death. And then he winds up killing an Egyptian and fleeing for his life. And after 40 years, the Lord speaks to him from the burning bush, calling him to return to Egypt to lead the people out of slavery, which the Lord accomplishes through him only for the people then to start grumbling and complaining. And because of his anger and frustration, Moses is unable then to enter the promised land with the people. And we think of the highlights of Moses' life, but we know also, as we see there, that Moses knew the toil and the trouble that he's writing about here in this psalm. So when Moses asks in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you, Moses knew. He knew how serious a thing it is to sin against a holy God, and so did all of the people of Israel who wandered with him in the wilderness. He'd seen what happens when we fail to understand that the Lord is eternal and that our lives are fleeting, and it wasn't a pretty picture. And often it can be one, as we look at the brokenness around us and in our own lives, that leaves us wondering, does it really matter at all, right? Is there any meaning to any of this? By trying to do all the right things, and it's ultimately not going to make any difference in the end at all, right? We ask those questions. We're looking for meaning in our lives. But hopefully we know the answer today that Moses knew when he wrote this psalm, that God gives lasting meaning to your life. Yes, the Lord is eternal and our lives are fleeting. And so if our lives are going to matter beyond our short span here on this earth, then we must turn to the Lord to find meaning. We must turn to the Lord to find meaning. Moses declares who God is and the reality of our sin. And as we read those verses there, 3 through 11, it can leave us at a place of desperation almost. It's not a good picture that Moses paints there. But ultimately, the question for us is, where does it lead us? Does our desperation lead us to depend more upon ourselves? Does it lead us to try to walk in our own strength and try to just gut it out or even just to give up? Or does it lead us to turn to the only one who is able to give us meaning, the only one who is able to see us through, the only one who is able to restore our Souls, And so we should turn to God for meaning as we see Moses doing here. Verse 12, he says, in response to all that he's laid out about who God is and who we are, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses knew that God is one who hears our prayers, that he is one who we can turn to when we are looking for meaning, when we're trying to make sense of what's going on in the world around us. And so he cries out to God in desperation. He cries out to God with this prayer. And so we're going to look at these five prayers that Moses prays and that we can pray as we turn to God 
in our lives. And the first one is, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. We need the wisdom to see our lives as God sees our lives. We could despair at how quickly 80 years pass and look at how little time we have left or how much time we've already wasted, and we could just say, it doesn't really matter, I've already blown it, or we can ask God to give us the wisdom to make our days count. And as we look back at the life of Moses, we know we remember him because he trusted the Lord and he followed his lead. We remember Moses because he feared God and walked according to his plan. We know who Moses is because God made his days count, because of the great things God did in and through his life. But the reality is most of the things for which we remember Moses happened in the final third of his life after he encountered God in the burning bush. The truth is that we don't know at what point in Moses' life he wrote this psalm exactly. Maybe it was after the burning bush, before the exodus, when he was about 80 years old, that he's asking the Lord to make his days count. Maybe then he went on to lead the people out of Egypt in the exodus and then to do all the other things we see over the rest of his life. Most think this psalm was probably written later on in his life, near the very end of his life. But either way, the point is this, it's never too late to pray this prayer. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's a cry to God for the right vision and perspective, a prayer that God would help us to walk in obedience to what we see in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, where we're called there, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Asking the Lord to teach us to number our days is asking him to give us the wisdom to make our days count according to his will and not mine. It's a prayer that we need to pray continually, that we would invest our lives in things that are eternal and not just in things that are fleeting. It's a cry for meaning and purpose to the only one who can give us meaning. First prayer is teach us to number our days. Second, when we see, though, our prayer as we turn to God is satisfy us with your steadfast love. God's wrath towards sin is a reality we see in this psalm, but here Moses reveals his understanding that God is not only a holy and righteous judge, but also a God who is merciful and gracious to those who call upon his name. Verse 13 is a cry for mercy for God to turn from his anger towards sin. Verse 14 is a cry for grace for God to shine the bright light of morning into the darkness of our sin, because that's the only way that we will be able to rejoice and be glad all our days. We've seen it elsewhere as we've gone through the Psalms. We saw it in Psalm 23 that God is the only one who can satisfy us now and forever because everything else is fleeting, but he is everlasting. His steadfast love endures forever. But then how often do we look for meaning in things that are fading instead of calling on the one whose love never fails, the only one who gives us lasting meaning? So we cry out today, Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love. It's another prayer of total dependence, a cry for mercy, a plea for grace. It's a confession like what we read in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, that the Lord is right when he says that we are dead in our sins, that we are deserving of wrath. But as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God's wrath toward sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus was raised on the third day and is seated in glory. And so by grace, we have been saved through faith. Satisfy us with your steadfast love is a prayer that God will do what he has said he will do, that he will do what he's already accomplished in Jesus. It's a cry for meaning to the only one who can redeem us and who can reverse the curse of our sin. Teach us to number our days. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. Our third prayer is this, make us glad in difficult days. Make us glad in difficult days. The psalm says, for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen evil, Lord, make us glad. That's Moses' prayer. And we know some of the difficulty that Moses faced. We've said that already. We talked a little bit already about the grumbling of the people that he dealt with, of how quick they were to forget what the Lord had done for them, of the constant complaining that they would have been better off if they just stayed where they were in Egypt. Forty years of wandering in the desert, never able to enter the promised land, right? It might have been tempting even for Moses to say, really wasn't worth it. Could have been easy to say that it was all for nothing, but Moses' prayer to God is, make us glad in difficult days. We know from the beginning of the psalm that life is hard, its span is toil and trouble. That doesn't mean everything is always bad in our lives because we know that it isn't. I don't think that's what Moses is saying here either. We can find ourselves, though, sometimes focused on the bad, so focused on what's going wrong around us that we don't even see what's going right, though. And we need the Lord to make us glad in our days. But then there are other times when it's one blow after another to the point that it feels like we can't even catch our breath. It does seem like everything is going wrong around us. And then also we need the Lord to make us glad in difficult days. I think of the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 8, he said this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There Paul says, it seemed like everything had come to an end. It seemed like we were without hope, that it was completely, all was completely lost. But it was to make us rely on God who raises the dead. The reality for us this morning is that our lives are fleeting, but the Lord is eternal and he is able to make us glad, to give us joy no matter what it is that we are facing. Sometimes it's just a matter of us realizing that we don't need to be relying on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. And so we need to pray today, Lord, make us glad in difficult days. He can give us meaning. He's promised to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Our fourth prayer then is this, show us your grace and your glory. Show us your grace and your glory. Let your work be shown to your servants. It says throughout the Psalms and the rest of the Old Testament, God's work points to the things that he did to rescue his people time and time again. Right? God's work is the demonstration of his 
love toward the people who were grumbling, who were complaining, who were rebellious. And so let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Moses saw in his life the grace and the glory of God on full display. He saw it in the burning bush. He saw it as God's people were led safely out of slavery in Egypt, and yet he prayed, God, show us your grace and your glory, because he knew that he needed to see it again. Even though the people had seen it before, even no matter how many times we've seen God's grace and glory, life in this broken and fallen world leaves us needing to see his grace, leads us needing to see his power in our lives again. This morning, if you're in Christ, we've also seen God's grace and we've seen his glory in Jesus. Jesus is, as we're told in John chapter 1, Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And yet we too need to see his grace and his glory time and time again, not because he is lacking, but because we're forgetful. And so as we gather in this place week after week, that's part of what we're doing. We're singing together of the great things that he has done in our lives, that he has done for us. And our prayer as we gather is show us your grace and your glory. As we open up God's word together, our prayer is show us your grace and your glory. As we share Jesus' words with those around us, our prayer is show us your grace and your glory. Because on our own, we're fading and we're fleeting. And our strength, any strength that we have, comes from God's grace. And so in our search for meaning, we pray, show us your grace and your glory. And then our final prayer we see in verse 17, establish the work of our hands. It is God's wisdom and God's mercy and his grace and joy and glory that give lasting meaning to our lives. And so we cry out for those, but we don't stop there. We ask the Lord to work through us and in us to show his mercy and grace and glory to the world around us that so desperately is looking for meaning and purpose as well. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. That is a prayer that God's goodness would show through us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. That is a prayer that God would move and work powerfully through our obedience to his calling in ways that only he can do. We read from Ephesians 2 a minute ago as we saw the mercy and grace of God on display there, but the next verse there in Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in? The answer to that looks different in each of our lives as we live on mission for Jesus in our families and at work and in our community with our friends. But our need is the same for all of us. We need God to do what only he can do in our lives and through our lives. And so asking the Lord to establish the work of our hands, it's asking him to lead us and to direct us to the good works he's prepared for us to do. And it's asking him then to work through us and to give us the strength that he would make himself known through us in a world that is searching for meaning and purpose in ways that ultimately are going to leave them um, at a place of hopelessness and desperation. It's asking the Lord to make our lives a testimony to his light and to his hope and to his truth and to his joy. That's what gives lasting meaning to our lives. God gives lasting meaning 
to your life. For Moses, everything didn't work out the way he thought it would in his life, but his life remains to this day a witness to the grace and glory of God. God gave lasting meaning to his life. And the Lord, who is eternal, even as our lives are fleeting, can give lasting meaning to our lives as well. Like Moses, that doesn't mean everything's always going to work out the way we think it will or even the way that we want it to. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy or free of suffering once we find the right path. The reality is that this world is broken, and so are we. Jesus told us that we will face trouble as we follow him, but Jesus' promises are the very things Moses prayed for in this psalm. The wisdom to make the most of our days, mercy and grace that satisfy our souls, joy in the midst of the most difficult of days, his presence, his grace, his glory, and his power through the Spirit to accomplish what he's created us and called us to do. And that is enough. So as we close this morning, as our band comes to prepare for our time of response, my first question for you is this. Have you turned to the Lord to find meaning in your life? And if you laid down, turned aside from every other pursuit, every other place that you're looking to try to find meaning and placed your faith in Jesus because he is the only one who answers the prayers of Psalm 90. He's the one who sets us free and rescues us from our sin and God's wrath and gives us mercy and grace and life. And so this morning, first thing we need to do is turn to him to find meaning in our lives. My second question for those who have already turned to Jesus and who are living for him is this. This morning, I'd like you to just think about who led you to the Lord? Who was it in your life? Maybe you would say it was several people that God used to show me his grace and his glory to lead me to Jesus. But whether it's one person or many, think about that. Who led you to the Lord? And then maybe go another step back. Do you know who it was that led that person to the Lord? Maybe you do, right? Some of us may know that answer. Some of us may not. If you do, then go another one. Step back. Who led that person to the Lord? As we think back, not all that many years ago, chances are most of us don't know the name of that person. In their life, they might have wondered at times if they were making any difference at all, if any of it was worth it, if their life had any lasting meaning. Right? They might have wondered that at times just as we do at times in our life. But yet here you are this morning. Here we are. Your life and your faith in Christ is a testimony that God gave lasting meaning to their life. God established the work of their hands so that you would hear the gospel and be saved, so that I would hear the gospel and be saved. And so today, let's pray that God would do the same through us, that he would establish the work of our hands, that he would use our lives in a way that has lasting meaning to point others to him and to the joy that he can give. And so as we close this morning, I'd like you to stand with me. And I'd like us to pray together. Words of a prayer that are going to be on the screen. The prayers that we've walked through in our time together this morning. If you would, just read it aloud with me and then we'll sing together. Lord, Teach us to see every day as you see it, to walk in wisdom and faith. When we fail, 
Help us to seek satisfaction in your unfailing love. When the days are difficult, sustain our joy in you. When we're tempted to look in other places, keep our eyes fixed on the grace and glory of Jesus who died and was raised. Strengthen us to be faithful to your call and to be ambassadors for your 